Welcome to another episode of the Middle West Podcast. I'm your host, Taqib Musa. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you all. I'm joined by my co-host, Hamda Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum. And we're joined and we're joined today by um, our guest, who's a law graduate, a very cool hipster dresser, um, and also uh, very active on Twitter, as well as on uh, kind of activist circles and on the ground um, with, uh, with different movements, but in particular recently with the BLM movement. Um, so we're joined by um, young Malcolm on Twitter, Muhammad Dutal. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Thank you very much for your time. I saw on your Facebook you've been all over the country recently, um, <laughs> trying to kind of organize different protests with your every everything very um, lockdown compliant. So you've got exactly. your mask That's and everything. On. Trying, trying to observe social distancing. Trying. Yeah. Um, How did that I, go? <laughs> failed miserably, but alhamdulillah. <laughs> You know, we've got we've got Dominic Cummings. He only did it to check your eyesight. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> therefore, therefore, it's all fine. I'm following, I'm following in the in the part footsteps of the government. Um, I guess yeah. This is um, your background really struck me as something very interesting. That's why I want to start with before we get into like um, uh, into discussing the protests themselves. Um, your background is very interesting because you are a uh, London-based, but often in Birmingham, um, law no, student. London, London raised, but. In, uh, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's really hard. It's really difficult. I mean, I mean, it's hard enough for, within the UK, but then, um, uh, but then you're living in in Egypt in now. Cairo, so but I'm in the UK at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So you chose to go abroad to study Sharia, which is, I think, it's a, uh, it's it's a rare thing anyway. But it's it's becoming even rarer to have yeah, people yeah. actually go abroad to to study Sharia, um, and and especially to do so with a kind of uh, with with your kind of background or a a lot of people who go are like very. Uh, one mind, single-minded, or kind of yeah. their. This is their area, and that's all they're going for. Whereas you have a lot more facets to your personality. Um, and then also on Instagram, you're called the Gambian. Yes. So, um, which which I think is your kind of ethnic background. Yeah. So how does how does this kind of? Can you give us a little bit of an overview of how all of this activism started, but also what pursued you to then take this to the next level and go to, um, go to Egypt to study Sharia? It's like. I... Looking back on hindsight, it really does kind of make sense. But at the time, I would never have predicted it. Looking back, I'm, I'm going from a point of, I grew up in London and I grew up on a typical like estate. Um, I got into, you know, trouble with the law a couple of times. And, you know, I was a very, na- very naughty kid growing up. And then I moved to Birmingham because my, uh, one of my friends was um, murdered when I was 13. So my, my mom said she kind of wanted me to get out of the area and move to Birmingham. So we moved to Birmingham and then... I was initially inspired by the election campaign by, of Barack Obama. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, the first black president. Oh, my God, it's going to be this is dope. So I just remember being on Google. I Googled, um, I Googled youth politics in the UK. And then I was directed to the UK, UK Youth Parliament. And then I stood for elections in my school. So and I stood in the campaign of like knife crime and, and you know, systemic racism and institutionalized racism. So my kind of uh, thing about, you know, talking about race issues has started from that point fast forward to like me running for this campaign this was kind of like my first ever encounter with up close racism in school because i remember being uh, i had my you know, on the on the campaign sheet I had like you know all the kind of candidates for the election were listed and then i kind of went around school getting votes then one of the kids said to me i must have been so i was 15 so i was in year 10 in the uk so one of the kids said to me bear in mind my school was an area and a predominantly it wasn't a predominantly white school but it's a predominantly white area so as I would go to school every morning, you'll find people in their windows, BMPs winning here. You know, we support the EDL in this house, like very openly. So as I was in school, 
someone just the kid said to me, I'm going to look for the white face to vote for. And I said, oh, and me trying to be like, very, I'm coming from a background where I'm not a diplomatic. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know what, let me just try, let me you know, I've I read Malcolm X, I've, read, I've watched Barack Obama, let me try and be quote unquote, uh, more professional. I said, you know, but I'm, also, but I'm also British, so why wouldn't you vote for me? Then the kid says to me, well, if a dog's born in a stable, doesn't make it a horse. So, so I was just like, wow, okay. Wow. Then that you can imagine, oh, I, okay. I completely flipped out. And then, um, you know, at, at lunchtime, we got into a little fight. And, but then that wasn't the end of it. The end of it was then about that day or day after, after school, about 30 uh, white men, actually, and they, were, they were like 18, 19 from different schools, came up with like baseball bats and hammers attempting to beat me up. Yeah. So that was like my first encounter of like, you're, you're 15 you're running for some local school position not school no so this is in, it's national in the, the youth way. parliament yeah, youth oh right. the youth parliament right, right, right. okay yeah so i'm, you, I'm really shocked that, <laughs> yeah and also birmingham because there's a like i don't know we're in birmingham so i, I have let's a, not say it's multicultural and like it's all diverse and all of those we have our pockets <laughs> yeah, yeah we we have our pockets um unfortunately no, but birmingham, well, it's, it's an interesting one because i found that before yeah i don't know i don't know what i find that you always find a correlation between like the the economy of the country and, how, and people's sentiments because obviously under the labor government previously you know the, we all know school was good you, you got your 30 pound ema if you went to school like you, mm-hmm. the economy was youth services were in abundance so what i found that in the same white friends or same people who are not black we were all cool everyone was cool like it was not an issue but as you find the rhetoric that started coming in of like the immigrants taking our jobs it, it crept into school as well so previously, mm-hmm. the year before, in year nine, we were friends. In year ten, we were having race, we were having race fights over race in school. So literally, so then I remember like then I remember a similar amount of time. I, by this time, I wasn't really practicing. I had no kind of connection to Islam, even though my family were Muslim. It was never forced on on me at all. So I had no no. I really really didn't really have no connection to Islam anyway. I mean, at the same time, going through this kind of journey of self discovery, trying to find myself more. I'm gifted by my best friend in school, who's a Muslim. Uh, he's half white, half from the Maldives. He gifted me the autobiography of Malcolm X and bearing in mind in schools you are kind of taught this dichotomy this false dichotomy that good Martin Luther King bad Malcolm X Malcolm X yeah so that's, that's what I was told I was told that you know Martin Luther King is the lover the peaceful person and, and Malcolm X was a racist and a radical so that's what I, that's what I initially believed and so I read it for myself like this is wrong and then when so when I started campaigning in this around the same it all happened at the same time I started campaigning in school again uh, and then my teacher said to me, um, Mamadou, be more like Martin and be less like Malcolm. So that's a hand, so that, my kind of connection to Malcolm has been since that, since literally 11 years ago now. So then around that time, then obviously I realized, oh, wow, Malcolm, Malcolm X was uh, a Muslim. And he's proud about his faith, started going to YouTube videos. So I started connecting back into my faith a bit more. Um, and, that's how, and that's kind of how I got into the kind of quote unquote black issues thing. But then, so that naturally fast forward now, which probably is a good segue to some of our talking points. I get into the Muslim community thinking that, you know, you believe the thing of like, you know, I, I was talking about today, I'm going to make a post actually, the, uh, the Muslim starter pack or the, the non-black Muslim starter pack. Bilal was black, the last yeah. sermon and the Quranic quotes on justice, you know, and that's what everyone and says. That's it. And, and then, I, I know yeah, me, that's me, my own Islam was online at the time or, or certain people that I encountered. And I was like, okay, wow, this is wicked. You know, I, you know and Malcolm X, he believed in that dream. I guess I, I always say that, it is a blessing or, or it is a divine intervention that he passed away when he did. He was to live longer and see the racist Muslim communities. Who knows what he would have thought? Yeah. 
Because mm. they, so we, we talk about Hajj as, you know, and, and a lot of people use Malcolm X and say, look at Hajj and look at how perfect it is and everyone black, blue and everything is together. Um, and while it's true in Hajj, it's a lot of it is because... Um, it's not the same in society. Yeah, it's, it's not the same in society, but a lot of times we're packed in together. Um, firstly, I've seen firsthand in Hajj, actually, there is, and, and maybe actually in the 70s, that's true, it wasn't. But now that Hajj has developed further and further, there is definitely a class um, division where you have some people in the really fancy tents and this and that, and they're really close and they're in a building. Um, but also, if you take those same people outside, it's not like um, there isn't racism in, in Muslim communities. Um, you know, the Gulf has a huge problem. Of course. Uh, the way I, I, mean, I, live, I, live, I live in the Middle East. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. not Africa, but I live in Egypt, a majority, you know, uh, Arab country. And I've experienced racism firsthand. I've experienced the colorism and the anti blackness firsthand. But yeah, so. So what was, yeah, so then, so, so then again, so I'm going through my life discovering, kind of discovering myself through Muslim community. I've, I've become quote unquote practicing, whatever that means. Um, I become, I start going to mosque, I start, and I'm like, whoa, the stuff I'm reading in the books about like not the process of being an anti-racist campaigner almost in that society, and I hear the stuff about, I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing it in the people. People are coming up to me and saying, oh, so when did you convert to Islam? And I'm just like. Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that you see that my face, my skin color is black, what has given you the impression that I'm a convert? Even though there's nothing wrong with being a convert, but why are you mm -hmm. assuming that? I, I used to go to the mosque, um, like after I started studying. So when I started practicing, quote unquote practicing, I started studying Islam pretty soon after. I, st I started going to lectures. I started, you know, taking a real kind of interest in it. And then I'm, I'm, you know, going to the mosque at the 17, 18 years old. I'm having people come up to me, "Hello, salam alaikum, brother. Let me teach you how to make wudu." I'm like, huh? Like, did you I, ever feel that was condescending or like you know I'm, I'm really but because all it is it's not like it's not like you come up to me and said to me salam alaikum bro how are you oh how long you been muslim for oh you're oh you're new here for example can i help you with anything it's like let me teach there was you no segue. yeah let like, me teach you an absolute assumption like you know <laughs> no, he must know nothing and then what i also saw then now being amongst majority pakistani or southeast asian communities is that like blackness or being black was associated with being jahil or being non-muslim whereas mm. like again i've had me during this work that i'm doing i've had so many people ask me am i black or am i muslim can you not be both which, which yeah no, which, but it's not even that it's stupid because no no arab has been asked are you arab or are you muslim yeah. and no pakistani person or indian person has been asked are you are you pakistani or muslim no one's been asked this question. I'm being asked the question because, again, they've, they've drawn a, a, a distinction between your race or your skin colour and, yeah. your, and your religion. And, Why do and you this think is, that is? I mean, Sorry, go ahead, Nahib. So Yeah, so, I mean, I've seen this where people say that... Um, I actually, I saw this on, coincidentally, TikTok, which um, yeah. I try not to spend too much time on there, but um, <laughs> there was someone who said that... Uh, someone put a post out and said, oh, I'm not really black, I'm, I'm half Muslim. So I'm half Somali, half Muslim. And it's like, what, what, what's wrong with you? Um, so there's this notion, but also this is not just non-Muslims perpetrating this because there's a notion in this country, a lot of people assume that Islam is this ethnic Middle Eastern religion. Exactly. Um, whereas actually it's, well, it's global anyway, but also some Muslims perpetrate this myth. And say, oh no, if you want to be Muslim, you have to wear a thobe like me and yes. have dates. Exactly, yeah, exactly, and all the time. Like, and, and, and it's a shame because I've seen a lot of black people uh, who have embraced so much self-hate of what it means to be black. But then I get it, though, the sense of themselves. It's that, it's that thing of, like, when you come from a certain background or a certain lifestyle, you believe that the only way to come to God is that you have to relinquish that lifestyle completely, which I get. Mm -hmm. But they don't, but the, I always say Islam is not culturally predatory. Islam is a filter for culture. 
the thing yeah. that yeah. the thing that's good in that culture, Islam will let through, mm-hmm. and and sanction it. The things that Islam that that is the antithesis to Islam or Islamic Islamic values or Islamic ethics, whatever they may be, Islam will say no to it. But again, because of people have this image of what it means to be black and you know the culturally black in society, therefore it must be antithetical to Islam. And I find it I find it very strange. That's why, like for me, I, I'm very like pro-black. I say very proudly, I'm a pro-black person, yeah. and I and I and I'm and I and I wear my blackness openly. And if that makes you black uncomfortable, you, exactly. And if, if that makes you uncomfortable, then you have you have work to do, not me. Because mm-hmm. again, similarly, it's, it's irony being majority of my friends in 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 Birmingham are not black. The majority of my friends in, in general are not black, but again, the same how like for Eid, I can wear a hat from from uh, from my friend who's Pashtun. He has a hat that which I love. I call it the Pashtun hat. Or similarly, how my friend wears shawal means I'll wear sometimes. And even though all my friends who are not black have been to Africa with me, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, we have we've had no issues in my immediate circle, but it's when you go to wider Muslim circles you find issues with these kind of things. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a general kind of, and and I I, um, I want to bring into some something kind of. It's a bit unrelated, but it's a lot of a lot of Muslims talk about this, and it's a very common thing. Is oh, we'll talk about Bilal, and Bilal was the best, and you know, yeah, uh, we have a Sahabi, and everything's great. Islam is all about uh, is all about equality, and then it comes okay, but if your daughter wants to marry Bilal, would you be okay with it? And there's a big kind of divide when it comes to marriage. No, we're not going to touch that. Everything <laughs> else, okay, but but and and it's just complete kind of. Uh, a dichotomy uh, or a no, cognitive it's like, dissonance. Yeah, it's like someone, 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 one of the scholars in Birmingham said that we have masjids called the Masjid of Bilal, but if Bilal, Radullah, <laughs> Anhu came today, he couldn't even be on the committee of that masjid. Of the, of, yeah. He couldn't be on that board. But again, it's like even that, like, it's even that. I've, I've always said that we have to move away from the tokenization of Bilal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bilal was not the only black companion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, he's, this tokenization, oh, well, oh my God. And that's why Mustafa Briggs, who's my best friend, does, you know, he does Beyond Bilal. And that was yeah. the, literally because I get it. I get, you know, the, the Muslim response always is that, oh, <clears throat> how can I be racist? I'm Muslim and Bilal was black. Uh, can you name any other black companion? Nope. Can that's you name problem. any other black scholar? Exactly. That's the but problem. Surely that's just the same as I have a black friend. Like Islam has a black exactly. friend. That is the Muslim. Is I have a black friend. I'm, yeah. That is the Muslim. I have a black friend. Exactly. And I think a lot of uh, even a lot of Muslims have this cognitive dissonance where they they do accept that there's no difference in Islam between Arab and Ajim, but then it's accepted within communities through either jokes or things like that. Um, do you think, especially, I mean, I'm coming from a, from a Pakistani background. Um, a lot of people say this, and again, I've seen no evidence for this, but a lot of people say that actually the, the root of racism in Asian communities is colonial, is that we came from white masters. And it's like, no, it existed way before this. Um, yeah. The fact of the matter is, if you look at a lot of Hinduism scriptures, they had a caste system which existed. And that existed on, on differentiating people on, on skin colour. Does it still not exist? No, it, it course it exists. But my point, my point is that I find a lot of uh, Southeast Asia, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure maybe it's possible that colonialism exacerbated the problem. Mm. It might be true. But to say that we, were, we had no uh, racism until colonials came, that's, that's a lie. And and it's it's also it's another way of kind of farming out your problem, right? Your deflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're saying it wasn't me; it was actually these white people who came and did it. Exactly. Um, but this, so I get this. Bringing it back to the discussion in the UK, what I've heard frequently in the UK is that slavery. And there's a there's a book by Jonathan Brown called Slavery in Islam where he talks about this. He says yeah. that in some circles, the way or in a lot of white circles, the way uh, even the discussion on slavery is had is that actually. This is not something we do. We are civilized. And in, you know, in Britain, we outlawed it in 1810. 
yeah. by by paying the money. Actually, you paid the money to loads we of white did. settlers. Paid the money to, to the slave owners. <laughs> yeah. So so you made them really rich, and we spent hundreds of years paying that off. Um, yeah. But uh, but uh, this is a this is a uniquely Muslim problem. That's actually North Africans who do slavery, or um, you know that slavery is something. The Muslims were the ones. The Arabs of North Africa were the ones who captured um, slaves, and they were the primary ones to do it. And they use examples like the fact that Mauritania was uh, the last the last country to on slavery. record to outlaw slavery. Um, so w- what what do you kind of say in response to that from a from a Muslim perspective, where actually Islam is being painted in in sometimes i'm not sure if this is true in like if i can say generally the white psyche but there's a lot of uh statements saying that islam is actually an anti-black religion i wouldn't say islam is an anti-black religion but the thing is what i what i could not be i could not be uh intellectually dishonest so when i have people black people who maybe not as well read on the history on the history of um, Muslim majority countries? They will say that they will go over and say to to other black people who are Christian, and they will say, you know, and, they, and rightfully so, they will say, "How can you follow this religion? That this religion was used to enslave you, yeah. and it was." Mm-hmm. But then, similarly, I can look in Islamic textbooks and know that they will look, research the Zand Rebellion under the Abbasids. Zand Rebellion was a group of black people who rebelled against the Abbasids. Yeah, you have fatwas saying that um, a Muslim woman should not wear hijab or niqab. Black Muslim women should not wear hijab or niqab because they're undesirable in society. You have, fat- you have fatwas in society that say that the fatwas from earliest earliest court sources that state that uh, a black Muslim woman doesn't need to wear doesn't need a wali to get married because she struggles to get married. You know what I mean? You have so many. These are in Islamic texts, and I've read them. And again, I've read them because I have access to the Arabic. Yeah. Again, I totally, I totally agree saying this, it's not Islam that says this, but you know, you have similarly, they have a whole a group, have whole empires who, who used to uh, castrate black young men. And these are, these are majority Muslim empires. 40% of those slaves that were taken, those Africans that were taken as slaves from Africa were Muslim. Not a peep from the Ottoman Empire that spoke about it. Sorry, Hamda, did you have a question on that point? Or... Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you guys are using very large words that are just flowing from oh. my head what does castrate mean and what does cognitive dissonance mean <laughs> no no sorry sorry i'm just there thinking like this is not a conversation for my intellect at this no, minute no, no, i'm no, just no, gonna no. i'm just gonna like nod no no too, no too. so castrate is when you, uh it was the practice that you remove the genitals of males okay to make them eunuchs and so they become just slaves and have and have no desires basically and and a lot of people say that this is a uniquely um uh, a uniquely American thing, American slavery thing, but that's not true. So there's a scene in Django Unchained where it's actually like they're about to do it to, to Django um, yeah. and it's very graphic, but actually this is something that was um, that was a punishment, even though Islam outlawed it, but a lot of people didn't uh, didn't yeah. follow through with it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, oh sorry, the other thing is that cognitive dissonance is when you believe something, but you act in a different way or you act upon something else um okay. but sorry we have we did segue quite a bit i get very interested in this and this is why i've been following your post for some time but let's bring it back to kind of your background and so you got involved into activism through that um i forgot to mention the intro that you have your podcast as well muslim millennials podcast yeah um, and the baraka boys podcast <laughs> and the sorry what baraka boys podcast. baraka boys podcast so yeah so you're kind of um older in the podcasting game than we are in the west um <laughs> But I, I wanted to bring it back to kind of the UK context and um, white structural racism, right? So again, there's a there's a big kind of I think there's there's movements in the US who disagree about and say that you know 
white privilege doesn't exist, et cetera. But actually in the UK, I'm bringing it specifically to us, there's a big claim that actually police brutality here isn't as bad as, um, as it is in the, in the US and we don't really have a problem here. Yeah, I mean, I've been speaking about this all morning. Um, the only difference is, well, two differences, sorry. Yes, it's not as bad as America. I admit, I admit that. I said it publicly. Um, but again, our police officers are on the on the street are not armed. Mm-hmm. So, and that that kind of infuses a completely different personality. Can you imagine, like, when the police officer in, in the UK is confronted with a situation, they they could they know very well it can go left. If I can if I cannot physically overpower this person, I could get a chance of getting my ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in America, it's very much like I can shoot you from a distance. And, and, and it's very telling because I was in, I visited America just September, just gone. From my, and I've been before, but I went and I've visited about five or six different major cities. So I went to Philadelphia, I went to New York, Boston, uh, Baltimore and Delaware. And I was just shocked to see how the police operate in those places. They really act like a gang. They really come in and intimidate people. Like literally, I saw, I witnessed it myself. Whereas in the UK, Given again, there is structural racism in the UK, and there have been many who've died the police of hand, uh, custody of the police, uh, but not as much in America. But one thing I can say is that, in my own experience, and by the way, I've had many negative experiences with the police here, yeah, and it's in, it kind of infuses I don't really trust the police here. But to be fair, they are overall friendly. Mm-hmm. I can't, I've just been honest, they're overall friendly in the UK. Like, you go to a shop, you're on a chicken shop or a fast food shop or whatever it may be, police officer will come in to, and buy his food and say hello to everybody. Yeah. You know, say good afternoon, good I see you in the street, they'll say hello to you. Yeah, it's not, in America, it's very much, they come in and they're just like mean mugging people, they have a gun on the side of the, of the, of the of, you know, in their holster, and very much, they come across very aggressive. I know, and I noticed that straight away. There's a, there's a thing in, I think, another movie called Righteous Kill where he says, uh, Al Pacino says, uh, most people respect the badge, everybody respects the gun. And, yeah. and that seems to be, I, th- I guess that's a wider attitude problem yeah. um, uh, with, with them. I guess this uh, kind of brings us on to some of the things about the way, uh, as a Muslim, you kind of engage with that sort of, sort of society. So do, uh, what, what do... What do Muslims have a duty to do in terms of, uh, for example, um, arming themselves or protecting themselves, or in our case, training ourselves in martial arts or that kind of thing, um, when there's a genuine threat to kind of something happening to you? I mean, I'm, and I'm someone who always believes and like, you know, I'm not, I don't believe in the narrative that's pushed today. Islam is not a pacifist religion. Islam doesn't say, you know, turn the other cheek no matter what. Islam doesn't yeah. say, you know, slap me 10, 10 times. Like, I don't do it. You know, no, I don't believe that. You know, I believe as Malcolm X said, and people say he's advocating violence. It's not by any means necessary. So if the, if the, if the situation demands that you, uh, you have a, you know, don't break the law, you know, get a gun in America where guns are legal, then yeah, have a, you know, if you can have a gun. Train yourself and get a you know license to carry. If you're in the UK, you know you should be able to defend yourself, especially for Muslim women. Especially Muslim women, you know people have issues of Muslim women taking up martial art lessons. I think that's ridiculous. In a time where you see that women are getting sometimes their hijabs ripped off, of course you'll be able to defend yourself. I mean, I want to go back to what you said like a few moments ago about how you don't feel like you can trust the police. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a sen- sentiment that all? black African people or people within the minority community feel like? Um, and why do you think that there is such an erosion of trust that we have to this state that is meant to be actually protecting everyone? Because the thing is, I mean, those who are like, 
not even like studious in the sense, but those who just have conceived the reality know that it's there's unfair, there's injustice done to ethnic minorities, particularly black people. Like you're you're more more times like how many times more likely you are as a black person to be stopped and searched. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we know, for example, like we know that black people and white people use drugs about the same amount. Black people overwhelmingly are uh, uh, represented in the justice system for drug offences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know, for example, if police were to police the hood in black majority hoods and get and hoods in the UK as they were to police these festivals that are run by white people, you find the same amount of drugs there, but they're not. Yeah. So we just see so we, different we, approaches, and, and, then, and then now we see the attitude when when uh, when you are com- confronted by a police officer as a black male, the attitude is really different as you are as a white person. Mm-hmm. That's just no. I mean, I've again, I've had like I remember being not to be so like you know anecdotal. But I'm being like 13. I'm being 13, and I, I had a you know teacher training day, so I went to go Oxford Circus. And then, like, I had a police, encounter with a police officer, and he, the way he just treated me, I thought, like, what the hell is wrong? Like, he even said to me, I said to me, um, what's your name? I said, Mom, you're Tal. He goes, not your name. I said, why is not my name? He goes, because Tal is a Dutch word, and my mother is Dutch. I was like, okay. But how can that not be your name? <laughs> exactly. Like, again, just the encounter of the police. I've had so many, I just, you just know it's going to be, they're going to be overbearing. They're going to be aggressive many times. Mm-hmm. So for me, one of the things I thought, you know what? So again, to people who see this stuff on the ground, we see that the police do not police people fairly. That's why there's not a trust there. Okay. I think I've heard the statistics even used before yeah. about black people being more, uh, more likely to be stopped and searched than white people. For me, I understand the logic and I understand the stats and I'm not arguing with the stats. Yeah. But for me, I'm not a stats person, so I can't put it into like a physical, like an image of how yeah. that looks like. Can yeah. you break that down to me? Because I, when I hear that, I'm like, damn, why are they doing that to black people? But I actually can't like make that connection but what it is 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 the is the attitude that comes with it so for example the perception of 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 many white people that black people are criminals mm-hmm. black people are black people are again but we know like and, and you know in, you can go and talk this this nonsense claim of black and black crime which is nonsensical we can we can destroy that we can we can tear that apart very often if you like Agreed. but the thing of this perception of like black people are somehow inherently more inclined to do crime mm-hmm. so therefore we must use our powers more so on these people when again, I told you, if you were to police black people the same way you police white people, you'll find the same amount of drugs. Mm-hmm. You'll find white people, they do cocaine. They have, they pop pills. They have all these events that have drugs for the parties. You know, you yeah. find the same amount. You find, my point is that there's not a, a group of people that, that does more crime. But the narrative that's quick, an example in America is a good example. I don't want to speak with, Talk, uh, keep talking about America. But America is a good example. In the 90s, when there was a crack epidemic in America, which we know the CIA flooded many of the ghettos with, with crack, yeah? The narrative was that these are, these are disgusting people, they're criminals, and they introduced what? The free strike rule, which meant if you get caught three times, you get life in prison. Yeah? yeah? That, that kind mm-hmm. of destroyed the black family. Now, in 2020, we have an opioid epidemic. Amongst who? Middle class white people. Yeah? What's the narrative mm-hmm. surrounding it? It is a mental health issue. They must be taken rehab. You know, my point is what happened. What happened with the crack epidemic? My point is this: for me, I take this. I take a consistent stance. Anybody who's a drug addict, you you need you need you need uh, mental help. You need like sorry rehabilitation. Like, yeah, medication. Yeah. You're not you're not a criminal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what. That's why. That's why. Yeah. That's why issue kind of thing. So I, I guess one of the things is um, 
is again us is very easy to and and actually i guess the blessing of trump has been that it's the dichotomy laid is very bare. easy to see yeah exactly yeah. it's very laid bare because there was april 30th there yeah. were people predominantly white protesting as the lockdown yeah. and trump was out there saying these are good people who are very angry and then these are very fine people yeah these fine. are very fine people with who are guns very angry. yeah um and then on the on the kind of few two two three weeks down the line you have black people protesting again really it's the same thing right these are very fine people who are angry about something terrible that happened yeah. um and and yet this you time have they're referred to as thugs yeah and this mm-hmm. time and and the and the responses I, I think from the media perspective as well like there have been some very clear things where i think there was a there was uh, on twitter there was a famous personality who said you know new york is burning and how look at what these thugs are doing to us and then someone else who was a more left-wing commentator said i live in the same building as you i just went outside <laughs> everything's fine um, but in in the uk we've seen this with things like um where there's already conversation about these protests are going to be uh, a cause of spreading COVID or where Eid was celebrated. And generally, Muslims tended to celebrate Eid in a very socially distant uh, way. Uh, yeah. I, we didn't have mosques. Uh, a lot of people put out something that, you know, you can pray at home. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, whereas when VE Day came along, uh, Victory in Europe Day, there was a lot of rallies on the streets. And again, they weren't very yeah. socially distant, but exactly. no, nobody covered that. So it's the whole sentiment of like blaming the black community and the brown community for their problems. It's it's the same sentiment that we're seeing that where the brown people and the black people are involved, they're then blamed for what happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, look, imagine this. I saw a beautiful sign that we know, especially in America and in the UK, we know that if you're from a black and ethnic minority background, you're more likely to die from coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, stats show that very clearly. Their own government's damning report has exposed them. Yeah, and in all of that, black people and brown people are still taking to the streets. What does that say about how they feel about the situation? They're willing to risk their lives. Exactly. Literally, yeah. Um, I guess I want to kind of, um, as we wrap up, I want to bring. I, I wanted to. Oh, well, actually, no. Let's. Um, I think you talked about black on black crime and you said we can unpack that. Um, so I wanted to get a little bit of a perspective on that because again, that's something that's mentioned a lot. And I think two Ramadans ago uh, in Birmingham, we had a big story around this because um, two people were shot dead um, yeah. or stabbed. I think actually it was stabbed um, in Birmingham mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they happened to both be Muslim. And again, this whole story came out of, you know, Muslim gangs in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of it is basically that narrative on black on black crime. You know, it's the reason, why, the reason why I say it's nonsensical because, first of all, it should never be used as a response to people who are ex- experiencing oppression from the police officers. When people say, for example, oh, but, you know, what it sounds like to me when I hear this, yeah, okay, police kill you, therefore we can, because, because you lot kill yourselves, we can now kill you too. That's what it sounds like. It's like this, it's like, it's like saying, if a woman was, who had ex- received or been the victim of rape or sexual assault, it's like you saying in that moment of her telling you that you said, well, 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 what were you wearing? That's what it sounds and like. That is a very conversation that happens. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. And that's, that's disgusting. To that. That's so odious and disgusting to have that discussion. Now, that's, that's just how I feel about it. We know for a fact, most violent crimes that are committed by people you know. People, people who are victims of violent crimes happen by people you know or people who are in your area. Naturally, when you have areas of pockets that are all black or all Asian or all white, they're going to be by people of your own, people who look like you. 
there's not an overwhelming there's not an overwhelming uh, number of crimes committed by black and black people or white and white people. It's not it's, it's about the same. It's not there's not like a big uh, difference between the numbers. Yeah? yeah. Second of all, again, it's the narrative of black people have been given that they are more in, uh, disposed to violence. When please name me one black uh, mass shooting in America. Mm -hmm. Name me one. It hasn't hasn't happened. Nope. No. Do you know what I mean? So like how this image that black people are more violent. But at the same time, yes, inner city crime is an issue. But we know when you have when you when you have like defunded schools, you have lower economic backgrounds, we know that crime normally follows that pattern. Yeah? But my problem is that people a lot of the and I've seen on many Muslim social media talk about black and black crime as well as a response, which I think is disgusting. But I find that many Muslims here, they they're only talking about the symptoms but not the causes. They're not talking about the root causes and the how to causes. address them. Why well, talk talk about the talk about how these uh, society these flipping um these communities are defunded, how do you, the, the creation of ghettos in these in these places, how mm. crime normally follows this pattern when you have like lower economic backgrounds. People, people find it as a way out. So again, talk about all these issues and then talk about, yes, at the same time, there's a real issue of people who, who people look like you kill you as well. And I get that because I know, as Akala beautifully says, he says that, you know, many young black people have internalized self-hate. And that's a real issue. Yeah. And, they, and when you predict that self-hate, you get that on people who look like you more than, like, you know, I've had, Akala said he went into prison and did like a test with young black people and said that, you know, who do you think more likely to be successful? And you show a picture of a black person, white person, and black people will choose a white person. Like, what does that mm -hmm. say about a system? What does that say about a system? What, what is it done to its young black people in that society for them to really to internalize so much self-hatred? So mm -hmm. much so, you even deem the life of someone who doesn't look like you more worthy than your own. But again, no one's had that conversation. Everyone's had a conversation on black and black crime because it's a right-wing talking point. I think, for, for me personally, why people don't have those conversations is because it becomes uncomfortable because then you have to then look at why is it that these schools are being underfunded? It's because yeah. you're voting for governments and you're voting for policies that make those schools yeah. are un like are underfunded. And then it's like, you're looking at then how you have benefited from that privilege. For example, I use my own uh, like living circumstances. I live in an affluent area um, yeah. in Birmingham. And I say to my friends and I say to everyone that I, uh, that I meet, had I had lived in a different postcode, yeah. I would be a different person. Yeah. Had I not in, gone to the same school and been presented with the same opportunities because I went to a school in an affluent area. But when I was yeah. going to that school, it was mostly majority like Pakistani and whites and that kind of mm. thing. So then for me, looking at my own privilege and my own like circumstances, I can then see why there is black and black crime because you are in an area where systemically you are demonized and put down and yep. don't have the same opportunities than everyone else so then for another person who lives in a different postcode to then say well you're killing yourself because that's your own fault yeah. that's not nothing to do with me exactly mm. um i wanted to bring uh before before we wrap up is we we touched on some things right at the start and i um and and we did a previous episode where again the guest said this is that islam is perfect and islam isn't racist um there's a uh, we, we started the conversation um, about kind of Muslim, Muslim racism. And a lot of the time when you actually criticize, uh, I know you've been at the center of some kind of beef around this. Uh, when you criticize a, uh, a historical Muslim scholar or call out their bias, which doesn't negate their, their work, for example. Yeah. 
Um, it's just that they're the product of their times. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. th there's a there's a big discussion around in in Islam very soon after the Prophet's death. Um, there was a switch towards kind of or like w when there was a switch towards a hereditary or sultanate type um, yeah. ruling system. There was actually uh, a fair amount of of racism that was espoused by some people in the, in senior positions at the time. Um, how do you reconcile that as a kind of as a black Muslim hearing things? And for me, actually, to a lesser extent, this comes through because a lot of the things those people say are very clearly at black people, but also a lot of those things are the superiority of Arabs. Yeah. And and then you take that back and you go, well, how do how do I kind of fit into all of this? And a yeah. lot of people, um, and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people who are non-Arabs, they feel kind of almost like they don't fit because it's, yeah. it's a very common opinion out there, which is one of the reasons why actually uh, we have Somali mosques and we have Pakistani mosques and things like that is because actually some of the Arab mosques aren't going to accept us. But at and the same time, you know what I found? The Pakistani mosques, yeah. you, have two, you have two camps. You have the camp that has accepted, who are, you have those camps who are not even Arab who accept the narrative. Yeah. I've come across mm -hmm. many Pakistanis, many, sorry, not Pakistanis only, many black people who say, yes, it's true. The Arabs are superior. They accept the narrative. I've I've heard that, and you have those who, who I put myself in the in the in the second camp. But I get, guess that I don't want to be um, what they call moral uh, presenteeism, which means that I don't believe in projecting our uh, notion or understanding of morality onto the past because they were mm -hmm. a different time. But I have no issue of calling it out. I'll say they were wrong, but I know why they said it. Mm. I, get, I have no issue with that. But my issue isn't with my issue is not even with so much them saying it. Because again, I, they, they had a different time to me. My issue is those who in the 21st century will say that they, they was, they're still right in what they said. Mm. That's my issue. That use that, that, that back a day morality to then yeah. excuse and to sort of say, this is what we need to be continuing exactly. to do. Yeah, exactly. Think, That's my issue. Because mm -hmm. I think in, in, the Muslim, uh, in the Muslim community, we very much uh, look up to and we put on a pedestal our uh, sheikh and our scholars. Yeah. for the right reason yeah. but what we also forget is that they were also human beings exactly. um and that we then need to sort of look at what they did the good that they did and look at our time exactly. and how we can also move forward from what they did and continue it for future exactly and I, I also the other extreme as well which i don't agree but i don't agree throwing them all away so yeah. i still believe if a scholar made a racist view I'll mm -hmm. still take benefit if there's benefit in his, in his work on, on Islamic jurisprudence, for example, yeah. or his work on, in hadith. I think I, I still benefit from it. But his, mm -hmm. by his comments on the black people or race, I just, I pull it in the bin. Mm -hmm. I don't agree, I don't agree throwing the baby with the bathwater. So again, I don't believe in the two extremes. One saying that, therefore, he was an Islamic scholar, he must have been righteous, he must have been right. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in saying we throw him all out completely. I believe in something in the middle. I think, I think that brings into some of the things that there's a... Um, if, if you call out people, um, especially like white people in the modern day on yeah. things like white privilege or say that actually what, you're, what you just said was an incredibly racist statement, yeah. it's viewed as, no, but I'm not a bad person. Yeah. Whereas actually, as an individual. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just a bias. You can be a good person and have a bias that's actually even unconscious. Exactly. And you might not realize why, why and the whole point, this whole, what I love about this whole movement recently, in recent times, that I really love the education process that people are going through in this. Mm -hmm. Having many people who are Muslim, who are not black, basically many non-black people in general telling me that, you know what, this has been educational for me. I didn't even realize I had these prejudices inside me. I didn't realize I was biased in this way. I didn't realize, I didn't realize, because you know, sometimes you think to yourself, 
why how can we even come out with this statement like like how can you even come out with this statement like in this in 21st century you have so much you have access to so much but then you realize not everyone goes through the same educational process and i and i and again this is my privilege that i've been able to go through that process because mm. i think what we what we need to understand as black people is that we're coming from this with decades of learned experience of unconscious exactly. bias and a lot of learning to deal with people exactly. looking at our appearance and then right now people are just automatically now waking up from this movement saying look wow i've got unconscious bias and i think it's reference to me it's that little anger and it's that annoyance of why did you not already know this yeah. um and yeah, i need cool. to and then it comes back to us as like we need to also check our own privilege because we are more in terms of like a bit more further along exactly. in that thing. Um, but I wanted to ask a question about the, the, the Muslim community being anti-black, is how do you see the Muslim community moving forward? Because I love the new conversations that we're having and I love the fact that we're being a bit more open in, in calling out the, the, uh, the unconscious bias that there exists. But what is it going to look like moving forward? You know what I mean? I definitely feel, alhamdulillah, um a slow progress first of all but i think the younger generation is in a much better place because mm. again again we're just more mixed now we have more like we're more mixed online we're more mixed in different spaces like you know you get a, like i don't know about maybe not maybe not, i don't know about yourself my, but i know for myself and my people around me our friendship circles are so mixed now mm. yeah it's not, it's not uncommon as my friends who are Pakistani and Arab have come to get gambia with me several times but in senegal with me i go to their houses me and again i feel like as i feel like it's starting it's just slow yeah. So I feel like I feel like what I would like to see is a continuation of that. People just getting to know each other more, man. Uh, James O'Brien today on the LBC said that the irony being the people, the areas that are the most kind of racist and prejudiced towards non-black people are 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 places that don't have non-black people in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you go so to like Devon, they don't, don't have uh, non-white people in them. For example, the white the white majority areas that I've never encountered black people, and they're the most people say they're the most racist, and the most people who say that we're we're um you know these people are taking our jobs. When you never have you never even encountered those people because why because the narrative around in those places been fueled like kind of fueled that kind of those fans kind of thing uh, the fueled those flames whereas like places like london and birmingham which are more so mixed don't have the same issues yeah and it's like mm-hmm. a almost a fear of the unknown or exactly you, it, I mean, if, if you go to devon you're almost invariably going to get a comment yeah. Um, or even you don't have to venture too far from Birmingham. Like, you know, my wife works in Worcester and, and one of the things she says is, you know, lovely, lovely people, but some of their questions are just frustrating because like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I guess this has been, this has been really interesting um, and really enlightening for us. Um, I think there's a lot of tangents we can go off on. Um, but as we, as we come to nearly the close of this, I want to um, ask you on some takeaway points, especially in terms of how do we, how do we take concrete steps in tackling um, what is most likely to be Arab or Asian or Indian Pakistani privilege in our Muslim community uh, in general, and especially in our like mosque communities, things like that? Um, in, I'll say, I think the biggest thing I've got to say is when it comes to majority Muslim spaces, include black people in your planning, in your events, in your in your messaging when you have an event and have a panel what does the pe- people on panel look like yeah when you when you're when you're going forward in policy having youth groups include black faces that's, that's, that's the biggest thing i can say 
you know, unless you, unless, unless, if you're really about it, really about making a change in this, in these uh, majority, you know, single ethnic communities, if you if you want to make a change and you say you're serious about it, include black people in these places and spaces. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's something concrete that can be done to, because because one of the things is that a lot of um. A lot of people are jumping on this, and every everyone in their everyone in their and their dad basically is putting yeah. a black black picture up on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if people's dads are on Instagram, but yeah. Um, but but basically, they are. They're woke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're doing it, but actually, how do you how do you take this um, forward? So I guess that's something uh, definitely take away from Moss Committee's perspective. Um, and any last points for our listeners in general? Um, anyone anyone out there listening? Um, there's so many. I mean, the thing I said, I just said, we, this could be a conversation for hours, and I'm sure it's gonna, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that this this thing, this the recent protests have been on kind of on the, on the death of you know George Floyd has been a catalyst for these discussions globally. But ultimately, I'll just say that you know, listen to black people. We've been trying to say this for a long time. Now, mm-hmm. our voice at the forefront again. Just listen to black people when they're talking, and just come off like you know, and bef- and save yourself some trouble. If you're unsure, I get it. I get it. For me, there's only two sides now. There's the there's the oppressor and the, and and the oppressed. There's a sign of justice and injustice. But if you're unsure of what to say, don't put your foot in it and don't say anything. Go to a black person and say to them, "How does this sound?" I'm thinking of saying this. Honestly, I do. I have to be fair. There is some really well-meaning people out there, well-intended people, and they come up with some absolute nonsense. You know, I saw one that one influencer said that you know even animals have rights. Therefore, black people have rights. I'm like, oh my god. You've just compared black people to animals. Like, you know, I mean, and she was so well-meaning. But again, it's like, again, if you, if you want to get involved and you know what, sure what to say, get in contact with people who do know what to say. Yeah, appreciate think, that. Can I, can I end with saying something? Yeah, yeah, um, sure. a, a friend of mine, that reminds me of something that a friend of mine told me a few years back. Um, she, in her PhD study, by, when she was interviewing refugees, yeah. she said that someone told her how don't expect when you are asking for my story don't feel entitled to it yeah. but rather feeling grateful rather yeah. feel grateful that i'm telling you that story and i think when you said talk to the black people like don't come from a place of i don't know privilege what you're saying yeah. i need to know this because i'm entitled to it yeah. but more of an essence of just saying listen really i'm coming from a place of sincerity and curiosity how does yeah. this sound like yeah agreed very nice. Thank you so um, much for this. Yeah, no, appreciate appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on, um, especially with your schedule going over and um, joining other interviews. Um, people can find you on Twitter at Mama Dutal. Dutal um, the Gambian on uh, Instagram, on Instagram. And Mama Dutal on on Facebook. On Facebook, um, and you can find our podcast on at the Middle West PC on Twitter, uh, at the Middle West Podcast on Instagram um, and uh, Facebook. And uh, you can listen to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Always looking for feedback, uh, next guest recommendations, what you liked, what you didn't like, um, any engagements uh, with these. Um, you can send uh, your feedback on podcast at themiddlewest.co.uk or you can send us a voice note through the Anchor podcast app. And hopefully we look forward to uh, seeing you very soon with another episode of The Middle West. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you all.